What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the DQ with Damani podcast. It is a new week, and you know I've got a new episode hot and ready to deliver to you all. Without further ado, let's get straight into it because I know y'all are waiting for me to talk about the impressive performance that Canelo put on. Let's save the intro. Let's save all the extended pronunciation of words and get right into it because I know y'all are feeling just as bad as I am. So, oh man, like I said, Saturday night, we starting this off extremely hot because everyone who doubted the performance, everyone who doubted the money, the pay-per-view numbers, everybody who doubted the support from both communities that I mentioned would happen over and over and over again has now been silenced. All of those people who doubted are quiet. If you look out into the stands right now and picture all of the haters, all of the people who didn't envision this, all of the people who didn't trust in the vision, they're all silent because now they have absolutely nothing to comment on. All of that negative energy is gone. Now you have people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh man, Canelo, he's the the greatest of all time. Wow, that's a Hall of Fame performance. Oh my goodness, I had no idea that he was this good. Wow, 33 years old? His career is not over yet. When just last fight, against John Ryder, these exact same people were saying the opposite. These people were saying that his career was over. These people were saying that he was out of his prime, saying that he wouldn't be able to generate pay-per-view numbers anymore. Every single one of these people who have the absolute most wonderful things to say about him were the exact same people highly critical of him his last fight. And it surprises me how quickly people forget this. This happens every single time we have a massive pay-per-view fight. Regardless of its tank, Canelo, sometimes you'll even have this happen with guys in lower weight class. We just had this happen with Regis Prograde. Over and over and over again, this thing keeps happening to us. And no one is waking up and saying, hey, wait a second. Everybody's flip-flopping. Everybody's switching so quickly. No one is talking about it. And I'm I'm definitely going to say something about it because I am one of the people who have remained consistent across the board. I give it to you guys straight. I say, you know what? I appreciate this guy's skills. I also appreciate the other guy's skills. What is going to give the other man the advantage over the other? And I point those things out specifically. The rest of these guys, they go into these fights. Oh, man, he's going to steamroll him. Oh, he, he, he he's going to cook him. He's No, I am going to keep it 100 like I always say week in, week out on this show. And the people who said that Charlo was going to dog walk Canelo once again are quiet. The guys who said that the younger man was going to beat the older man. Oh, Canelo's grandpa. He's getting up out of here. Why, did, why is he even taking this fight? He should be focused on Benavidez. Those guys are quiet. Instead, they're praising him. And ironically, they flipped on Charlo. These guys are now saying that Charlo went into this fight looking for a payday. That he laid down. That he didn't want to fight. 
These people flipped. And I want you guys to realize that right now, as I am telling you guys this, that this is the mentality of people who are both in the sport physically and support the sport through the screens. This is their mentality. This is the dangers of boxing. This is why we have fan bases. This is why we have biased commentators. This is why we have quote unquote sides of the street. Because people cannot remain consistent. People can't remain unbiased. People just can't deliver the facts to you. And let's let's just continue. Let's go even further. Because right now, I want you guys to look at every single major news outlet that is talking about what happened this past Saturday right now. I want you guys to open up your Google browser and go straight to the news section and what they are saying. People are talking now about Derek James saying that Derek James is a failure saying that Derek James oh man he's lost twice on the biggest stage of all time wow he must not be that great of a coach people are going to be up and out of his gym soon what does that what what are you even talking about have you seen the things that Derek James has done for his fighters just because his fighters lose one time he's a bad coach one time. This isn't back-to-back -back losses. This isn't a four-losing streak. This is one loss, a singular loss for each man, for Spence and for Charlo. Now, his other two fighters, Ryan Garcia and I'm, I'm actually not entirely sure whether or not Jermall is going to be training under him for his return fight against Jose Benavidez, which I will be talking about later on in this episode, but if he is, I would like to count him under that. He has other fighters. He has Anthony Joshua. He has people under his wing who are always going to rise to the occasion. Anytime there's a contract sent their way and they know that it's going to be a major fight for them and their opponent, they're going to say yes. And they're going to do what they have to when it comes to preparation. So why is it that we have people saying all of this strange stuff about Derrick James now? Have you ever considered for just a moment that Bo Mack was the better coach that night? That Terrence Crawford had the better skills that night? Have you ever considered for a moment that Eddie Reynoso is a better coach than Derrick James on that night? Have you ever considered that Canelo was just the better man that night, the more skilled man. People have such a massive issue with giving fighters and coaches credit where credit is due. On these nights, sometimes all it takes is one call out from your coach. Sometimes all it takes is one. I've talked about this before. Demetrius Andrade, Jason Quigley, level change, boom, lands a massive shot. Sometimes all it takes is one call. And sometimes the entire camp might be the reasoning for why someone is so successful. The coach and the fighter and their skills and their ability to work in tandem, the fighter being able to receive information and act skillfully based upon that information. And the coach feeding the fighter accurate information on a case to case basis in that ring. The coach and the fighter working together is something that creates magic in the ring. And when people automatically just 
remove that and say, oh, man, well, uh, I, I don't really care much for that. He's a terrible coach. Oh, wow. What's going on with that? That that confuses me sometimes. And you guys know that I'm going to speak on this because, once again, this is a combat sports news lifestyle and analysis show. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Your coach, without your coach in that ring, you will lose. I can count on just my five fingers right now, boxers in the modern era who would be able to achieve even the smallest amount of success without their coach. Not many fighters can do that. That alone proves how important a coach is. So when these guys are saying that Derek James and his coaching is terrible, that his gym is going to be empty, that is beyond disrespectful. Beyond disrespectful. And I hope that these people are able to wake up and realize how invaluable someone like Derek James is to people like Anthony Joshua, to people like Errol Spence Jr., to people like Ryan Garcia currently. That man has a place in their life that is ultra important to them. Without Derek James, they'd be back out looking, looking for another one. Ryan Garcia would be right back with Joe Goosen. So now that all that foolishness is out the way and I'm done being agitated at how some who how some fools love to comment on this sport and just say outlandish things. Let's actually dive deep and analyze all of what happened on Saturday. Starting from the top down, the Canelo fight was some of the best work that I've seen from him, period. Absolute master class in how to cut off the ring against an opponent who was going to be on the back foot the entire fight. I am not saying that Charlo was scared. I am saying that he used his footwork to try to get out of situations where he definitely could have been knocked out and hurt badly. Yes, he took a knee. He was dropped one time that fight. But we also have to understand that if he did not move as much as he did, he would have most definitely gone down like pretty much all of Canelo's other opponents have done. They've all gone down from body shots, head shots, etc. The only people that Canelo hasn't been able to knock down effectively are on a very, very small list. So let's just be real. Charlo made the right decision. People are obviously going to be pissed, say, man, you ran the entire fight. You didn't do anything. It's extremely difficult to be able to put up a solid fight against someone who has as much forward pressure as Canelo. He was cutting the ring off in pretty much every single direction. When Charlo would move to the right, Canelo would cut off the ropes right there, move straight to the right, throw either a right hook to the body or a left hook to the body. Every single time he would step forward, move at the same angle that Charlo was moving and pressure him right up against the ropes. Charlo would back out, move to the other side. Canelo would back up in a straight line, dart straight across to the left side, take an angle right off to the left, cut him off right there. There were so many points at which Charlo's movement was just choked off and bottlenecked by Canelo's movement. Cutting off the ring was awesome. And since I already mentioned the body shots, Let's talk about the hooks. Oh, oh my goodness. You could hear every single shot that was landing. 
Every single left hook, every single right hook, whether it was over the top or to the body, it made the most wonderful cracking sound. Oh, it's so much better than hitting the bag. That is just a testament to Canelo's power and a testament to his will to just keep throwing the shot, keep throwing the shot, keep throwing the shot. And the biomechanics on the shot itself. I sat down. I talked with my man's Jack, and I'm pretty sure, Cosmo, if you're listening to this episode or watching this episode, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. When I discuss the hook, the way Canelo throws his left hook to the body and his right hook to the body is beautiful. It's a work of art. The entire left side of his body follows through when he throws that left hook. And that's something that a lot of people don't do. A lot of people will throw the left hook from the shoulder. A lot of people make the mistake of throwing that left hook from the shoulder or throwing it from the arm. They really won't incorporate a lot of waist movement and a lot of leg movement. But Canelo, the way that he throws it, it incorporates the entire body. When he throws the left hook, the entire left side of his body follows through with the shot. When he throws the right hook to the body, the entire right leg, right side of his waist, all of it, it all follows through with the shot, which helps him generate more power. The rotational power is something that Mike Tyson used a lot, but that was more so for his angles, throwing his uppercuts coming off to the left or to the right, or being able to move his head off the center line. Of course, Canelo does the same thing, but his is more focused on, like I already mentioned, the rotational power. That is probably my favorite thing about him. Aside from his head movement, aside from his footwork, the rotational power in his hooks. Because I am not going to shy away from it, y'all. I'm going to tell y'all 100% the facts on this. I incorporated that in my own arsenal of hooks. I love rotating my body on my hooks. I love it. I love it. Of course, you have to be careful because if you don't make sure that the right foot or if you're a southpaw, left foot isn't planted, you're going to pick it up off the ground and slide, leave you off balance, which means if you get countered, you're definitely going down. So please remember, if you're going to do this, you need to keep your rear foot planted. That is going to help you push forward. And then, of course, if you're moving backward, your lead is going to help you move backwards. But every single time you throw those hooks, you need to make sure your rear foot still planted. Now that we talked about the hook specifically, let's just talk about exactly why Charlo couldn't respond. Because like I said already, people are saying that Charlo ran. Charlo, he didn't want no smoke. He was scared. There was just a lot of offensive and defensive things going wrong that didn't allow him to get a good start from the first round onward. He would try to throw some shots. Some of them would land. Some of them Canelo was able to slip or parry with his gloves, shrug it off to the side. But it all really came down to the pressure. When you have someone who's able, once again, to cut the ring off so easily that you're not even able to take an inch of a step forward, you know that you're in there with a dog. And Charlo was fully aware of that. He says, okay, I can't go to the left. I'll move to the right. I can't move right. All right, I'm going to try to go forward. Oh, man, I can't go forward. He's throwing crosses and hooks at me. The only way for me to move is to step back, roll, slip, try to use my gloves to catch the shots and counter. But even that wasn't really effective. It just shows 
how effective Canelo is able to enact his game plan. All of his game plans are enacted effectively. I don't think there hasn't been a single time outside of Mayweather and Bevo where Canelo wasn't able to enact his game plan effectively. And I say that mostly because all of his performances involve pretty much the exact same thing. It all depends on whether or not the opponent notices it and whether they're able to notice it and act on that. It's all in the footwork, head movement, and shot selection. Once the opponent is able to guess the pattern correctly, like Triple G did, for example. Triple G in the first fight was able to guess all of Canelo's strike patterns perfectly. He knew when Canelo was going to take his head off the center line. He knew when Canelo was going to peek his head out of the guard and start walking like he did against Billy Joe Saunders, like he did against Caleb Plant. Basically, where he starts to walk you down after landing a shot that he deems is big enough to allow himself time to come forward, rest, and then throw again. Triple G is a great example of realizing that pattern and striking in the middle of it because there were so many times where Canelo would throw that shot, come forward, Triple G would be on the ropes. He would roll off the shot and then come back with a shot of his own. Bivol did the exact same thing. He would lay back on the ropes, take the shot, let Canelo walk forward again. He'll throw the shot again, roll off, and then throw a shot afterwards. There were those two fights that showed exactly what you need to do Mayweather as well, what you need to do in a situation where you have Canelo pressuring you. Charlo, he obviously learned, okay, I'm going to have to catch these punches, but he didn't prepare enough for the straight ones. The straight ones set up the hooks. Double jab, right hook. Double jab, left, left hook, left uppercut every single time. The straight punches always set up the chops. And every time those chops would come out, those body shots would come out. Charlo felt it. Charlo knew what was up. Co-main event, man. A lot of people are really pissed that Erickson Lubin got that W over Jesus Ramos. We had the fight party going on, so a lot of people were distracted. And <laughs> people reacted to the big hits. I'll just say that. The big hits during that fight, people really reacted to during the fight party. It wasn't really the slow moments that people paid attention to, more the larger hits between the two men. And I do have to say that I am a big supporter of Erickson Lubin. I have seen Jesus Ramos fight plenty of times before, but you all know that I am a very, very big supporter of Erickson Lubin. And whenever there's people saying that there's a robbery, I have to talk about it. I have to, I have to, I have to. I cannot deny myself the opportunity to come in and brush the narratives of robberies aside. That is my professional occupation. I am the narrative sweeper. We got to get those up out of here. Now, for people who do not know, Erickson Lubin is a hard hitter. It doesn't matter how long you've been following this man. You know from the Sebastian Fundora fight and prior that this man, Erickson Lubin, can punch. He is a puncher. He will take your chin off and send it into the stratosphere if he has the opportunity to do so. So I have no idea why people didn't think that he was going to do that against Jesus Ramos. That confuses me. Very, very confusing. If we're being honest, let's just talk about the shot selection between the two men. There was a major difference between what each man was doing. Erickson Lubin in this fight was boxing. He was boxing. 
he was using a lot of shots that he doesn't normally use. He was experimenting in there. And you could tell from the way that he was throwing punches. Jesus Ramos, he went to the body. He threw a lot of nice uppercuts. And I very much did like the shot selection from him. Now, who was more active between the two of them? If we're being honest, it was Ramos. Jesus Ramos threw a lot more punches. It definitely appeared so. But to give Erickson Lubin credit where credit is most definitely deserved, he knocked Jesus Ramos off of his rhythm. And this is exactly what I said when I talked about the Devin Haney-Lomachenko fight. Devin Haney was boxing. Devin Haney was able to take Lomachenko off of his rhythm. And I think a lot of people underestimate the power of that ability. If you're able to take a power puncher's rhythm away, take him off rhythm, that means you're winning some of those rounds. You're taking rounds off. And to make this case even stronger, Lubin did lose the earlier rounds. He did. I am not going to come on here and lie and say that Lubin won the early rounds. He did not. It was the middle and the late rounds that definitely gave Lubin a better image in the judges' eyes. Now, the public most definitely does not agree with that. And we've been through this so many times this year, so many times where people will say, oh, a guy was robbed. But in, in the eyes of the public, a robbery may not necessarily be the same as a close fight. In my eyes... This was a close fight. This was not a robbery. This was a close fight. And it is extremely difficult to score close fights. If this was a robbery, you guys know I would keep the same energy as I had for the Jermaine Franklin Dillian White fight. I would have kept the same energy. Most definitely. I was extremely frustrated with the outcome of that fight. And if you've been a fan of my show for a long time, you know exactly what I was talking about. I went scorched earth on those judges. I was not playing any sorts of games when it came to the scoring for that fight. But if we're on this situation specifically, no, this was a close fight. And I most definitely understand the frustrations of people who are fans of Jesus Ramos, guys who wanted him to keep his undefeated record. I sympathize with you. Yes, you are 100% justified in feeling that way. But please... Do not go out of your way to call this fight a robbery. This was a difficult fight that could have gone either way. And I hope people are able to wake up and realize that instead of screaming robbery, 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 like chickens running around a farm. Let's all regroup here. Rewatch the fight completely from rounds one to the final round and come to the conclusion that yes, Despite the fact that Jesus Ramos lost this fight, he could have easily won this fight had the judges felt differently on that night. Most definitely. It was close. It was extremely close. And Erickson Lubin is the victor. Moving on down to the Mario Barrios fight. This fight was absolute fireworks. I'm kind of mad that I didn't put any money up on this fight because a lot of my friends did. A lot of people had Barrios winning, at least in the party. I'm only speaking for the party. I'm only speaking for the household. I know a lot of people were backing the boy, Jordanis Ugas. I mean, how can you not? How could you not support the black Cuban king? 
He has a beautiful family. He's built a great life for himself here in America. And obviously, a lot of people want to see someone like that succeed. People want to see a fighter like that succeed always. And when he fought Errol Spence Jr., it kind of broke my heart when he lost. I was very happy that Spence won. Spence came back victorious off of that car accident, the insane eye injury that a lot of people thought he wasn't going to be able to make it out of and be the same fighter again. He came back and he silenced all the doubt. Of course, that meant that Jordanis Ugas had to take a loss. And watching a lot of the pre-fight material, the stuff that I always say is very important, humanizing the fighters instead of just focusing on the fighters as fighters themselves, really showing the intricacies of all of these people's lives. Of course, not, not a lot of people like to be public with their lives and stuff like that, but the guys who really come on that show and show their full heart, put their hearts on their sleeves like Ugas did, it really hits deeper when they win and it hits deeper when they lose. And when Ugas lost to Spence, man, it kind of hurt. It really hurt. And seeing how his wife took care of him after the fight, his eye was busted up. I'm pretty sure that his entire orbital bone was like shattered by Spence, which is, you know, why people call him the eye collector. He did the exact same thing to Kell Brook. He's not very shy about taking people's orbital bones, but nonetheless, seeing him hurt like that and watching his wife take care of him, seeing his son call him, talk to his son, and the way that Ugas was loved by all of the Cuban fans, it really made me happy. Of course, once again, like I said, watching him lose like that, it hurt bad. And this past Saturday was no different. He's 37 years old. A lot of people were saying that he should have retired after he lost to Spence. That could have been his nice way of just walking off, giving the fans one last great show, one last great showing of heart. But he really showed how dedicated he is to, to the sport as a whole and to the Cuban fans and just the boxing community as a whole by stepping up and taking this fight against El Azteca Mario Barrios. It made me very happy when this fight was announced. You guys know when that fight announcement dropped, I came right on this show and I spoke very candidly about both men because I'm a big fan of both men. I'm a fan of their work inside and outside of the ring. As always, it is important to be a fan of the fighter and a fan of the man. Contrary to what the guys over at the Boxing Voice like to say, you should appreciate what a fighter represents as a person, what they represent outside of the ring. But that doesn't mean that you can't appreciate what they do inside. There are a lot of guys who go into that ring lose or go into the ring, take insane injuries. Like I already mentioned last episode, Joe Joyce, situations where they may be broken down, but they still come out and speak to the public and show exactly why they are so dedicated to the sport and show why they are so dedicated to the people. And Ugas is one of those fighters. I do not want to undervalue him on the show just by talking about the loss that he experienced this past Saturday, because I think that it's it, while it is important, the results of the fight are important, I do think that Ugas's life and what he means to people such as myself and other young black men in this sport is extremely valuable. I don't think that people should just automatically just discard him. Once again, like I already said, like Joe Joyce, people deserve to hear the great things that these people have done. And Ugas is no different. So a lot of people really wanted... Barrios to come out the victor because of the recent slide that he had because of, of course, the one and only 
Hervante, Tank, Davies. <laughs> there was no way that people wanted him to just come out and just pitter-patter against Jordanis Ugas because he did lose to Tank. He did lose to Keith Thurman, although I do have to admit that it was a great showing from him. He did give Keith a bit of trouble. You know, one time he likes to go out there and have a little bit of fun, but let's just be real. Barrio spoiled it for him. He gave him a good body shot, had him a little shook up. We know Keith don't like shots to the body, but he recovered, got the win, and Barrios was able to learn from that loss, take on Giovanni Santiago at the Alamo Dome in February, the 11th of that month, just a few days shy of my birthday. And then, of course, we do have this unanimous decision win against Jordanis Ugas, which brings him to two and two in his last four. Now, let us remember that this was for a WBC interim world championship at 147 pounds, which eventually gave our boy Barrios the move up in the ranks. He is now ranked number three, just behind Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. Moving down people such as Connor Ben and Cody Crowley. Do I think that this fight was great? Absolutely. Especially if you like power punches and you like pop shotting. A lot of people seem to forget that the Cuban style is heavily dependent on finding your range and your footwork. And Ugas, he takes it to the next level. It's very obvious that Ugas, he fancies his outside shots and he fancies his body shots when once he's able to find range. Barrios shut that down completely. He said, what do you think you about to do against me? You think that Cuban style is really about to work on me? On me, of all people? Did you see the kind of fight that I gave Tank? I made Tank work for the knockout. And you think you're about to let that Cuban style walk all over me? Absolutely not. Watch what I'm about to do. And he proved to the entire world that, once again, he is a solid test for anyone 140, 147, and maybe even 154. If Ugas really wanted to test the waters, he could have given himself a good run at 154 against Barrios. But nope, 147 was the place to do it, and Barrios is here to stay. The thing that I liked the most about this fight was the pacing. The pacing was very nice. Barrios didn't rush it. Ugas didn't rush it. You could tell that they were trying to be very patient with each other because they respected one another's power. And that became really evident after Barrios started to land more jabs. His power jab was probably the best shot of the night, in my opinion. And the same could be said of Ugas. Like I mentioned earlier, the Cuban style is heavily dependent upon range finding. And Ugas was able to place the jab very nicely on Barrios' chest. And he was also able to plant it very nicely on his chin. That way, he knew exactly where to throw his cross. And he knew exactly where to throw his rear left hook. Very, very, very underrated skill here that I think a lot of people need to be reminded about. Your jab being your range finder is something that a lot of coaches will tell you to do. But people don't remember to do it. Oh, after this past Saturday's amazing main event, we are finally getting confirmation, yes, officially, that the fight between Demetrius Bubu Andrade and David Benavidez has been finalized. Yes, contracts are signed. We know exactly when the card will take place. And get this, 
Jose Benavidez is back, but not a lot of people were expecting his opponent to be Jarmal Charlo. I think this will be Jose's first fight at 160 pounds. And the fact that he's getting a fight at 160 after losing to Danny Garcia at 154 and fighting for the world championship, that's crazy. That's crazy to me, y'all. I don't know what's going on over at PBC, but <laughs> they know what they know what they're doing. They know how to keep the belts on their side of the street. So I'm happy that the fight has been made, but it's a little questionable how Jose is getting a title shot after losing and losing in that fashion to Danny Garcia at 154. How do they even know that he's ready for 160? I mean, I know the Benavidez brothers, they train all the time. They spar all the time. They're in the lab pretty much 24-7, but... Jumping from 154 to 160, no matter how many pounds it is, is going to be a little different. We know that as you move up in weight, you're going to have guys who are taller. As you move up in weight, you're going to have guys who are more powerful. But what matters most is whether or not your power carries up into the next weight class. People question this heavily of Tank when he moved up to 140, fought Barrios, and won. Fight, Tank did take off his WBA championship. And now... We are in the present day with Tank as WBA lightweight champion of the world. Now, for Jose, this is going to be a much bigger task because, yes, this is for the WBC middleweight championship of the world. And his last fight, aside from Danny Garcia, he weighed in at 158 and a half pounds. So he didn't quite yet bridge the gap from 154 all the way up to 160, but it looks like that fight, he was easing his way into it easing his way into it, seeing, okay, do I feel good at a higher weight or should I stay a little closer to 154? 153, he weighed in his last fight. I think that this is good for him, but at the same time, he does need to be careful. Jamal Charlo packs a punch, and I'm sure the same could be said of the 160 pounders like Yanabek. Oh my gosh, 160 is too hot right now. 160 is way too hot right now. Finally, the talk is over. December 9th, Devin Haney, Regis Progray, it's time. Everybody, I hope you're ready for this one. Let me see, let me see. He can hear me? I gotta step on you. I gotta crush you. You in my way. I'm breaking you down, bro. I'm gonna break you down. Break your heart and break your will. I'm gonna take everything from you. It's levels, and I'm at the highest. I'm at the peak. You're a manufacturer. You're not real, you fake. Just another night for me. Another victim, another body. I'm gonna fuck you up. Like I keep saying, I'm gonna keep stressing this over and over, but I'm going, I'm gonna hurt you. Really, you're a little boy to me. Everybody that's there, all your people, bro, they gonna see you get knocked out, and I'm gonna knock y'all cold. Fuck boxing, this this gonna be a massacre. Regis, <laughs> I'm coming for you. It's a wrap, y'all. It's finally done. It's time. There's no more trash talk. There's no more doubt. There's no more, oh, is Haney fully vacated? Is he going to do it? Oh, is Regis going to take the challenge? Nope. It's all over. Matchroom has finally launched major, 
major media pieces for this fight. And I am excited to say that California is going to be the spot for it. I believe it's going to be in San Francisco, December 9th. I was hoping that they were going to bring it to the East Coast, but the plan, like I mentioned the other week, was for this to be a big homecoming for Devin Haney. We know that Haney, he always wanted to fight in front of his own people, put a nice flag on zone slash Matram and say, you know what? I'm staking my claim. These are my people. I'm going to fight in front of my people. I don't care whoever else you put in front of me, but make sure that the next time I fight, I'm fighting at home. I'm done fighting in Vegas. I sure as hell ain't fighting in Madison Square Garden. Let me fight at home. And boy, did Eddie Hearn deliver. Of course, we know Regis Progre. He's a rough and rugged champion. He's never going to say no to anybody. He's never going to back down to anyone. And pre-fight, so far, it seems that he is very much looking forward to silencing Devin Haney. Before the fight, Bill Haney, Regis, they went back and forth with each other. Devin, Regis went back and forth with each other. It's been a real uphill battle for Regis to just get these guys to quiet down, be humble, and respect him as the 140-pound WBC champion of the world. And it's, it's less disrespect and more so supreme confidence that is coming from the Haney camp right now. Of course, we know Bill Haney. He's always going to support his son. He's been there from the very beginning since the snack. No, not even bef not even snack. Before snack, before they had any major sponsorships, Bill was there putting Devin's name on the map saying, you know what? My son, one day, he's going to be undisputed champion. And you guys are going to be witnesses to it. You guys are going to see just how intelligent my son is in the ring. And he delivered. Each and every performance, he delivered. You can make some arguments about the Lomachenko fight, but every single time Devin Haney has stepped into the ring, he has delivered. People want to say he's pillow hands. People want to say he was the email champion. But every single Devin Haney performance, and I mean every single Haney performance, speaks for itself. It shows that he is a master at boxing. He may not always get the knockout, which is what people obviously want to see, but he's a master of the craft. What more can you want out of a fighter when they're completely destroying their opponents on the outside? They can't even they can't even swing a body shot in. It's too late. You can't do anything. You already ate three jabs. What you gonna do? Throw a body shot uppercut? You're not Canelo. You're not gonna be able to land that on Devin Haney. You're gonna get boxed up. Sincerely hope. I really, really hope that Regis Progre is prepared for that. So this weekend. October 7th, we got Joe Smith Jr. versus Zurdo Ramirez. Yes, it is the return of Joe Smith Jr. after he took a pretty bad loss against Artur Beterbiev. Whether or not you choose to respect the Russian pronunciations. <laughs> I know people struggle with these last names, so I'm just throwing both of them out there. That fight obviously happened last summer. 2022 Joe Smith Jr. has been out pretty much the entire year. It has been a year and some months, and now he is returning for a non-title fight against Zurdo. Zurdo, of course, we all know that he ended up taking on Bivol, and he got slapped. He got his ass cooked. He got cooked. Adrian, you didn't go down like that, huh? He got cooked. He got slapped bad. I don't know why people expected him to actually win. That fight was only going to end in one way, and that was a knockout. So he's looking to redeem himself and hopefully, and I mean hopefully, get a better result this time around. It is a 12-rounder, and we know for a fact 
that that boy is going to need some serious recovery because Joe Smith Jr. does not shy away from his power punches. I am hoping that this fight ends up getting some kind of though. I hope it's a regional title, some sort of springboard title, just so that both of these guys could get up in the ranks. Since this is going to be happening at Cruiserweight, this is not a light heavyweight fight. This is a cruiserweight fight. I want people to be reminded of that immediately. These guys are not fighting at light heavyweight anymore. Both of these men are moving up to cruiserweight for this contest. So I'm looking forward to see how the weight shift changes their power, how the weight shift changes their footwork. And either way, I am sure that we are in for a great fight. All right, everybody. That just about wraps this week up. I got everything out that I wanted to talk to you guys about. And once again, I am very blessed to bring you the weekly news, lifestyle, and analysis surrounding the great and beautiful world of combat sports. Very, very blessed to be that guy. Very blessed to be him, Timothy, whatever other term you would like to use. Please make sure you ingest some boxing this weekend. If you missed last week's wonderful main event between Canelo Alvarez and Jermel Charlo, can't even call him Iron Man. I, I paused to say Iron Man, but I feel like the Iron Man nickname kind of really doesn't stick anymore. He really got folded, folded like a piece of tinfoil. I don't think that boy's Iron Man anymore. Please go and watch that. Make sure this weekend you don't miss it. October 7th, Zurdo Ramirez versus Joe Smith Jr. Get your butts in them seats, turn them streams on, and watch some boxing, y'all. Be safe. God bless.